Section 2 of Montezuma's Castle and Other Weird Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by T.E. McHenry. Montezuma's Castle and Other Weird Tales by Charles B. Corey. The Amateur Championship. A committee from the Phoenix Athletic Club and one from the Prescott Club had met and after considerable discussion had arranged a match to decide the amateur championship of arizona as the phoenix and prescott clubs were far and away the foremost athletic organizations in the territory the contest was looked forward to with great interest especially as an intense rivalry existed between the two cities let the contest be fair and square on both sides said smith the chairman of the phoenix committee let each club send its best man who is strictly an amateur of course and a member of the club in good standing, and let the best man win. Them's my sentiments exactly, responded Johnson, the chairman of the Prescott Committee. Fair play and honors to the best man, say I. I did think of sending a young fellow I know in our club who took some sparring lessons in Frisco last year, and is quite clever. He's a gunsmith by profession, but the trouble is he's been teaching the boys during his spare time when he can get away from the shop, and that makes him a professional, doesn't it? It does, said Smith, and I am glad to find you are as particular as I am in such matters. Let me tell you, it is a pleasure to meet a man like yourself, who tries to be fair and square and take no advantage of anybody. Let's take something. During the next few days, there were anxious meetings of the committees in charge of the arrangements. A certain man, well up in sporting manners, went to Frisco as a committee of one representing the Prescott Club to hunt for talent. At the same time, a brother of the chairman of the Phoenix Committee, who kept a bar room in Chicago, received a letter which caused considerable discussion between him and his partner and several interviews with certain short-haired, thick-set individual who frequented his place. What I want, said the letter, is the best man you can get, someone who is a sure winner and can punch the stuffing out of this amateur duck from Prescott. Don't make a mistake and don't spare money. Get a star as the boys will bet all they have on him and we do not want to take any chances. The following week, the chairman of the committee of the Phoenix organization received a letter from his brother in Chicago, which informed him that for $200 in expenses, they had secured the services of a well-known professional, but one who had never been west, and who they were sure could lick anything which could be produced, professional or amateur, on the Pacific coast. He had commenced training, and they could rest easy and bet as much money as they wanted to. Meanwhile, the Prescott Club's representative made a rich find in San Francisco in the shape of an Australian professional who had just landed and was therefore not likely to be recognized. He had a record of numerous victories in his own country and cheerfully undertook for the sum of $75 to knock the blooming head off any blooming duffer anywhere his own weight that might be brought up against him. Things went along merrily. Letters were exchanged between the chairman of the two committees reporting as to the progress of their representatives. Our young man, wrote the Prescott leader, is doing very well, and I hope great things from him. Naturally, we want him to win and have secured the best man of good amateur standing in our town to represent us. He is a drug clerk, and his mother objected pretty strongly at first. But she's been talked over. There will be a party of at least 100 of us go down with him, and I hope you will have front seats reserved for us. Most of the boys feel inclined to wager a little on the success of our representative but he himself does not feel very confident of the result. Upon my return, I found quite a strong feeling in favor of having the young gunsmith represent us. 
but after my conversation with you could not for a moment countenance any such proceedings on our part. Two nights following, the Prescott chairman read the following letter in answer to the one which he had sent. To R. W. Johnson, Esquire, Chairman of the Committee for the Prescott Athletic Club, Prescott, Arizona. Dear Sir, I am glad to hear that there is considerable interest taken in the forthcoming match. Boxing is a noble art, and coming contests will no doubt help boom both our clubs. There is a great interest taken here in the match, and I warn you our man is getting himself in the very best condition possible. He is nervous, of course, this being his first appearance in an affair of this kind. He is a clerk in the bank who has lately been engaged by my friend Robinson, and therefore does not get as much time for exercise as perhaps would be wise. But Robinson is an enthusiastic sport, as you know, and has arranged to let him get off several hours each day. We look forward to a great contest, and I certainly feel that the winner may fully consider himself the amateur championship of the territory. We shall take great satisfaction in reserving the 100 seats you asked for. I think you will find all the money ready for you in the way of bets that you will want. Our population is made up a great deal, as you know, largely of miners and ranchers, and they are inclined to bet recklessly. I cannot close without congratulating the Prescott Athletic Club for the energy and enterprise which they have shown in this manner. May the best man win. Yours, etc. J. Smith There was a great crowd packed into the ring of the Phoenix Athletic Association on the evening of the contest. Seats were at a premium and the fight had become the principal subject of conversation for days. The two principals had met and been introduced to one another. Just before going to the scene of the contest, both were dressed for the occasion, and I tell you, they were sights. The bank clerk had on a collar so high he could hardly turn his head, a high silk hat, long black frock coat, and immense white rose in his buttonhole. The Prescott drug clerk was still more gorgeous. Besides a buttonhole bouquet and a high collar, he sported an eyeglass, and smoked a cigarette while in the presence of his opponent. "'As your bloomin' elf,' remarked the drug clerk. "'I hope this o'er your fit.' "'Er, gone,' answered the embryo financer, using only one side of his mouth. "'Don't you try to jolly me, you stage-brush dude, or I'll have him poke at you right here.' Several members of the committee hastened to interfere and put a stop to all further danger of trouble by hurrying the principals off to their dressing rooms to prepare for the contest. In the ante room, Smith hugged Robinson and nearly wept with joy when they were alone. Did you take a good look at that stiff, he gasped. Why, our man will punch the daylight out of him in two minutes after the gong sounds. Why, I say it's wrong. It's too easy. I really feel sorry for those Prescott chaps. Robinson chuckled and muttered something about fools and their money being soon parted. And then the two worthies repaired to the ringside. Smith was to be master of ceremonies, and climbing upon the raised platform, he crawled through the ropes, and after looking about him for a moment, raised his hand to enjoin silence. Gentlemen, he said, I must beg you all to stop smoking. Our contest, which is to be held here tonight, is to decide the amateur championship of the territory of Arizona. Nothing is more calculated to incite among our younger men the love of athletic sports than such competitions when conducted in a fair and sportsmanlike manner. I must beg of you not to allow yourselves to be biased towards indulging in any unseemly noise in case your favorite should be worsted. What we want is a fair field and no favoritism, and while we hope our boy will win, none of you, I'm sure, would wish in any way to feel that either man was given any undue advantage. The men will fight with three-ounce gloves, Marquis of Queensberry rules, three minutes to each round, with a minute's rest between. 
A man down to get up inside of 10 seconds or be counted out. No hitting in the clinches. Many of you are acquainted with the gentlemen who are our representatives this evening, but for the benefit of those who are not, I will introduce them. And waving his hand toward the Prescott Pugilist, he said, This is Alexander Harrington, amateur championship of the Prescott Athletic Club, who is, I may say, by profession, a popular druggist in the town from which he comes. Considerable applause. And this, he continued, pointing to the man who represented the Phoenix Club, is J. Francis Livingston, a young man who has shown himself to be a good exponent of the noble art, and who is deemed to be an amateur championship of the Phoenix Athletic Association. He has only lately arrived and is not very well known to many of you. I may add that he is a personal friend of our Vice President, Mr. Robinson, and is employed at the bank. Wow, enthusiasm. As there can be no question as to the amateur standing of the gentleman, I will again beg of you to treat both men with equal favor and will ask the referee to call time. The seconds at this climbed down from the ringside, shoving their stools out under the ropes, and the two athletes, throwing aside their bathrobes, stood up in the corners, each stripped to the buff, with the exception of tight trunks and canvas shoes. A roar of admiration and astonishment went up as the bank clerk first exposed himself, and Robinson grinned at Smith across the ring as a splendid expedition of muscle was exhibited. It was evident that the bank clerk had not devoted all his time to banking. He was apparently as fit as a racehorse, and the muscles on his back and arms twisted and rolled about like snakes at every moment. But Robinson's expression altered somewhat as he glanced at the drug clerk. That individual was somewhat shorter than his opponent. But if the banking representative was well-developed, he of the pharmaceutical persuasion was magnificent. Both men had been fanned and washed, their gloves carefully tied on, and they now stood rubbing their shoes on some powdered rosin which was scattered about the corners, eyeing each other intently. What they thought will probably never be given to the public but there is no doubt that each must have experienced a feeling of surprise at the physical condition of his opponent. This did not affect them in the least, however, as they were both as anxious to begin as bulldogs. And when time was called and the gong rang, they danced to the middle and commenced sparring for an opening, grinning with confidence. For the first minute or two, nothing was done. Forward and back they moved, their arms moving in and out, each with his eyes fixed on the face of the opponent, watching closely for an opening. Then the bank clerk jumped up and led one, two, without effect. His first blow was neatly guarded, and the second one brought a vicious cross-counter in return, which grazed his nose as he got back out of the way. In came the drug clerk with a rush, and they closed just as the gong sounded, which ended the round. Up through the ropes came the seconds, with the activity of a lot of monkeys, and the two men were hurriedly seated upon the stools, and each was fanned furiously with a towel by one second, while the other bathed his neck and face with cold water. A hum of conversation arose. "'Who is that bloomin' duck?' whispered the druggist to his principal second. "'He ain't no bleeding dude, I can tell yer.' But before the man had time to reply, the gong sounded and the call of time, and the men sprang forward to the middle of the ring. There was no sparring this time. They went at it. Biff, bang, right, left, sending their blows with all the power of their muscular bodies. The referee, almost dancing with excitement, shouted to them, "'Break away!' and tried to part them when they clinched and they were no sooner separated than they closed again, fighting with the energy and tenacity of bulldogs. Just before the time was up, the drug clerk swung his right and caught the gentleman of finance fair and square on the nose, with the result that Prescott was awarded first blood and first knockdown amid great excitement. During the one minute's rest, the seconds did wonders. The men were sponged and rubbed and fanned constantly with large towel, 
Water was squirted on their heads and the back of their necks, and at the sound of the gong, each arose from his stool looking fresh as the start. Round three opened as though it would be a repetition of the hurricane-style fighting of the previous round. But after a clinch or two, and giving and receiving a few good blows, the men kept apart and fought more warily. Each had evidently become satisfied that the other was not quite the easy victim he had expected. And as this conviction gradually dawned upon them, they dropped the rough-and-tumble style and fought with more skill and caution, each watching and waiting for an opening, hoping for a chance for a knockout. But none came, and the round closed with honors even. During the intermission, Watkins, the sheriff who was acting referee, talked earnestly with a friend, and from time to time looked hard at the drug clerk. He turned towards the timekeeper and seemed about to say something when the bell rang, and the men were again in the middle of the ring. Round four had commenced. They were both fresh and eager, but the business was written all over their hard faces. They were not smiling now. Round and round they moved, constantly facing each other, their arms moving back and forth like a machine. Now and then one or the other would make a quick feint or move, and the other would spring back with the agility of a dancing master. Suddenly the financier thought he saw an opening, and let go his left, but was short, and received a counter in return which sounded all over the place. Then they went at it, hammer and tongs, and kept the referee very busy separating them and making them fight fair. Questionable prize ring methods were resorted to by both men, and the knowledge shown by these amateurs of the little unfair tricks of the professional prize fighter was astonishing. The bank clerk took special pains to stick his thumb in the opponent's eye whenever they clinched, and the compounder of drugs used his head and elbow in a way which is frowned upon by the advocates of fair play. The men were fighting hard and fast when the round ended. Every man in the crowd was on his feet yelling like a hyena, and they went to their corners. Referee Watkins walked up to the side of the ring, and raising his hands to enjoin silence, stood waiting for the uproar to subside. At last, when he could be heard, he addressed the crowd as follows. Gentlemen, I am sorry to stop this fight, but I must do it. These men are supposed to be fighting for the amateur championship of the territory. Whether this is a put-up job or not, I do not know, but I do know that the Prescott man is a professional pug, lately arrived from Australia. I suspected him from the first. From the way he acted, I was pretty blame sure he was no drug clerk, and my friend here, Jim Sweeney, swears he knows him, and that he was called the Ballarat boy when he saw him fight in Australia some seven months ago. I can't let this thing go on and have honest men lose their money. I am not dead sure in my mind that the other man isn't a ringer. He is a damn sight too good for an amateur. But that cuts no ice. This fight stops right now. It's a draw, and all bets are off. There was a tremendous row, but the Pugilists were hurried off to the respective dressing rooms, and the crowd slowly left the building. On the steps outside, Johnson, the chairman of the Prescott Athletic Club, met Smith, and going up to him, he offered him his hand. Smith, he said, I want to tell you how pained I am that the affair ended as it did. You, of course, do not for a moment suspect that any of us knew our man was a professional. How could he deceive us? I cannot understand. Why, I was never more fooled in my life. Smith shook hands heartily. Don't say a word, Johnson. The best of us are often deceived, and the more pure our motives, the easier it is to fool us. That's so. They walked on in silence a short distance. Smith. Hello. Pity they stopped it. It was a lovely scrap while it lasted. That's what it was, said Smith. The end. The amateur championship.